You are listening to The Political Periscope, a weekly podcast brought to you by Radio WNET. Interviews on international politics, security, geopolitics, economy and more, every Thursday at 7pm. Today's guest of The Political Periscope is Shihao Ripsky, Director of Training and Exercises at the European Center of Excellence for Countering Hybrid Threats. Political Periscope. What's the hybrid center of excellence? What's the purpose of this institution? Yes, so the European Center of Excellence for Countering Hybrid Threats was founded uh, based on the MOU between NATO and EU that they would jointly counter hybrid threats together in a neutral platform. So the purpose of the organization is that it's neither NATO nor is it an EU Center of Excellence, but it's a combination of both. And so that allows the institutions to um, come together, coordinate and collaborate, train and exercise, uh, all for the purpose of learning more about hybrid threats and how, what are the techniques that we have available in order to tackle them. For the last three days, uh, we've had a, an example of such training, of such exercise uh, here in Warsaw during the war game. Yes, that's absolutely right. And so this uh, countering disinformation war game uh, was ultimately based on a need for nations to have a platform in order to uh, apply some of the current techniques that they have for countering disinfo uh, on social media platforms, but also to experiment with new ideas, to learn how um, to coordinate with different organizations or entities, journalists, fact checkers, like we had seen in the debrief, civilian populations, and really understand a little bit more about how this uh, social media ecosystem or media ecosystem works in a controlled environment. I was here as a journalist, but there were also participants from government institutions. Yes. So this particular uh, war game was uh, set up to train the Lubin Three. Um, triangle nations, so that's Ukraine, Poland, and Lithuania, um, in addition to the UK that was also invited here. There were no winners, there are no winners, uh, it's a training, but what are the real threats that such exercise, such war game can prepare us for? Yes, um, so I... I believe that what this war game really prepares us for is that uh, not only does it, um, not only did you see a lot of the teams, you know, um, start off very reactionary, but it really prepares us to consider more proactive messaging, really prepares us to consider um, who are our target audiences, right? Because I think naturally what occurred uh, in this war game and, and previous war games is that it's not about, you know, constantly messaging, you know, the adversary, but sometimes it's about reassuring populations. Sometimes it's engaging with civil society and journalists and, um, you know, other elements of civil society, such as fact checkers and, and, uh, social media influencers. And, and so I think that aspect of this war game is very unique because it helps governments, uh, really expand their circle of engagement and look for additional opportunities to amplify their messaging. 
what's the role, actual role of governments and what could it be uh, in preventing disinformation? Okay, so uh, I think the actual role of governments um, in many ways is really two twofold. Um, in some ways, uh, governments enable civil society organizations and other organizations, depending on your country, to build resiliency, social media resiliency. Um, they have an obligation to increase uh, the population's trust in uh, government, and uh, that that's one of the things that governments you know can do. They can they can try to increase uh, uh, confidence in uh, government and government messaging amongst civil populations, um, and then they can also enable um, uh, others to uh, uh, amplify proactive messaging. Right. And so uh, I think the role of governments in many ways is to also coordinate amongst these civil society actors to really uh, coordinate the whole society approach, bring all of uh, those uh, different entities together. What is, in your opinion, the most effective way to prevent disinformation, to fight against disinformation? Yeah, I think it's it's exactly what I had said before that um, you know the most effective way is for us to uh, approach it in a whole of society manner to realize that government messaging alone is not enough. That we also need to have positive messaging from civil populations. We need to support uh, journalists and especially independent journalism and fact checking. And we need to you know support others. We need to coordinate with uh, our institutions and our allies. Um, so it can't just be a singular government solution, but it's uh, networking through alliances. It's uh, joining with other nations, and it, it's uh, you know also supporting the voices of civil society in that proactive approach. Besides this proactive informational approach, there are also measures such as uh, legislation and education. Do you think that those are viable methods of fighting this disinformation? Yes, I do. I do actually. Um, I'm actually a huge proponent of media literacy. Um, this is one of the um, offshoots of the project that I have here um, for the Countering Disinformation War Game. And uh, for me, I think media literacy, although it takes time to build that sort of li literacy, it really starts, uh, you know, at a very young age with school children uh, and civil society organizations and, and with universities. And it's, you know, in, instead of, uh, you know, increasing censorship or uh, increasing measures to um, um, prevent, uh, you know, independent voices from uh, expressing, you know, or acting on their um, uh, freedom of speech. So instead of suppressing freedom of speech, I'm again, I believe that it's educating populations, right? So give populations the choice and the tools in order to discern, you know, fact from false information, be able to do debunk their own disinformation and make their own educated choices. And I, I think for me that that is um, one of the key elements that uh, we all uh, should consider focusing on. How are we doing so far as a general Western society? I, I think in general, um, 
Yes, it's a, it, it's very, very challenging. I I think the adversary is very adaptive. You know, I think, uh, especially here in Europe, I, I get the feeling that we know uh, Russia very well, right? That they are um, very predictable in their narratives. I certainly think we still have a lot of work to do. And as uh, social media also adapts and changes, you think with AI, with chat GPT, it's it's going to become even more difficult uh, for us. And so we need to really start getting ahead of the problem, right? And and uh, really uh, better understand what those future threats are. And I think if we can do that, then, uh, you know, hopefully we can start to mitigate um, some of those threats. You've mentioned ChatGPT a few days ago. I probably, we all have seen um, the photos of uh, Pope Francis wearing a um, white Balenciaga um, jacket. It was artificially generated. Um, what is the way, what can we do about such images? Uh, they will get better and better, even more realistic. Um, uh, is it enough to educate yourself or should we? Should there be some legislative measures put in place? Yes, I, I think that also is very difficult because on the one hand, you know, um, sadly, it's those images that continue to get amplified in the social media space, right? Because they're, they're so eye-catching. Uh, and I absolutely agree. I think that, um, you know, if there were a way to, uh, you know, um, discourage or, or de-amplify those types of images, um it, it would certainly make our lives a lot easier. I don't know if any of, I don't know if any of that is going to go away, but I, but I think it kind of goes back to uh, the importance of having, you know, fact-checking organizations and, and uh, having uh, the ability to uh, debunk sort of those fa false images. How has the Russian disinformation changed uh, since the beginning of the invasion last year? I don't know if it's a... Uh, I don't know if necessarily their tactics have changed. I think uh, what we've seen more is that we've seen uh, potentially uh, more ampli amplifying or coordination with, uh, you know, adversaries like China. I think also their shift to... Um, focus on the global south uh it is definitely increased and in so i think here in europe it, it feels as though they've been fairly consistent but i also i also think that uh in many ways you know when when it's something that you're so used to you sometimes uh miss the 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 signs the signals that a lot of this information was information conditioning and preparation of the invasion right so they were really using the information space um, before the invasion in order to uh, um, amplify their narratives to prepare uh, that space and then they're also I think from a hybrid perspective uh, they're not just using disinformation they're using disinformation in addition to cyber attacks and uh, various uh, legislative act acts and, you know, co-opting young children uh, and, um, uh, you know, 
adjusting uh, school curriculums in some of the occupied territories. And so disinformation is just one uh, angle or aspect that they have in a greater hybrid operation. We are talking a lot about disinformation, how it affects us, how we can fight against it. But what could be real effects on of disinformation, the effects that we can see in our real lives, not in infosphere, but on the street? I, I think it, it, it also talks to... Um, Maybe, maybe how we feel about ourselves and others and how, uh, whether or not we trust our governments. I think that, or we trust the things that we, you know, see and hear and read in, in, in regular media, not just in social media, but, um, it, it lends itself to, you know, not only more conspiracy theories, but more, divisions amongst societies, right? Like, I think we've, uh, that disinformation uh, creates these uh, divisions within societies that uh, breaks societal unity. And, and so that could be why that there is a little bit of increased, you know, social unrest in, in places where uh, disinformation flourishes. There are also so-called peace movements. Uh, we observe them. Maybe people are just tired with the war. Maybe they really would like to just give up on Ukraine. Well, we can't give up on Ukraine. We certainly can't. I think that that is um, um, certainly that's a challenge for all governments and all societies. It's very easy to look inward, but you know, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, this is about, this is a fight about democracy and, and freedom. And, uh, in particular, we, we just cannot let Russia win. I mentioned uh, the peace movements on purpose. Uh, in Poland, we have a very, well, I, I don't know if prominent, but we have a movement that calls itself a peace movement, which is now really well, it is really possible that some of them will get into the parliament during the next election. Is it a whole European problem or is it just a Polish specifics? Well, I don't think I, I can't, certainly can't speak to uh, the specifics of uh, Poland or uh, necessarily speak to it being a whole uh, um, a European problem. But I, th I think, again, it goes back to, you know, um, defending defending democracy and de defending our values and i know we all would like to have peace right and um it, it it's a question of um you know under what conditions are required in order to obtain that peace and, and certainly i think most would agree that russia just needs to stop so to end are you rather an optimist or a pessimist considering disinformation? I'm I'm optimistic that um, that we are that our societies in many ways are going to become more educated. So I'm optimistic that uh, younger generation, the younger generation has a better understanding of disinformation that certainly I had when I was that age. I look at my own children and uh, they have a better understanding and really 
talk about, oh, right, that, that picture, that meme was false. So, uh, you know, that, that isn't really true. And I think for them, um, that's what makes me optimistic is that they have a, they have a grasp and understanding that not everything in the social media space is true. And, uh, they're also learning to discern fact from fiction, um, and, uh, have ability to be more resilient to disinformation. So I think in that sense, yes, I am optimistic that, uh, future generations, um, will gain that understanding. And certainly the more we talk about it, uh, the more that understanding will increase across all generations. Is there any message you would like to pass? I don't think I have any particular message. So maybe very short instruction for our listeners how to avoid being disinformed. I think it goes back to, again, um, you know, supporting independent journalism, freedom of speech, uh, continuing to uh, gain news uh, through trusted sources, uh, supporting fact checkers, um, and uh, and and supporting media literacy programs, and and always continuing to educate yourself on uh, fact from fiction. Because I mean, we need to advocate for the truth. We need to be defenders of truth and democracy. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was the Political Periscope. The podcast is released every Thursday at 7 p.m. 